dream big. That thing that you want to do to help others, that itch, that's God's proof to you. Fear has a very concrete power of keeping us from doing our purpose. But people who are running toward their dreams life has a special kind of meaning. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. All right, hello everyone. Good to see you. My name's Luke. Uh, good to be with all of our campuses or those uh, watching online. Hey, I've heard that uh, Disney World is the place where dreams come true. Yeah, I've not been myself. Maybe you have. Maybe you've had that dream come true experience. Or if you had it in another way, maybe you did something. Maybe uh, you, you got into the college that you wanted. Or better yet, you got the degree that you were striving for. Dream come true. Maybe you met the person of your dreams. Maybe you even had a dream wedding. It was a dream come true. Or something else, a job that you got, or an accomplishment, a certain experience that you had. You, you unwrapped a golden ticket and got to go to a chocolate factory. A dream come true. Uh, or as a friend of mine would say, just making it to 20 years old alive would be a dream come true. And for those of us who don't get a weekend, live vicariously through the TV shows of people with their dream weddings and getting their dream home or going on their dream vacations. Just so we can get caught up in the exhilaration of a dream come true. We want to feel it and experience it. Now, I would guess that most of us would not consider reading the Bible to be a dream come true experience, not quite on par with Disney World, right? It's just this dusty old book that you maybe read a little less than what your preacher prescribes. I don't know, but either way, you may not perceive the Bible to be something teeming with energy and exhilaration, uh, like when the Extreme Home Makeover shouts, move that bus. Now, you open the New Testament book of uh, Ephesians, there's no buses moving. In fact, not much is moving at all. It's from the perspective of a person sitting in jail. It's uh, the early church leader, Paul. Uh, nothing moving where he's at. He's locked up. But you never know that by his attitude, by the, the tenor and feel of his writing. In the New Testament book of Ephesians, it's, it's a letter that he wrote to some other Christians. And it's not this depressing cry for help. Rather, he's, he's like bursting forth as if a horse out of the gate, chomping at the bit to, to describe the wonder and mystery of what his God has done. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. O-M-G. I got something to tell you. He said, as if a little girl was surprisingly picked up from school by a princess riding a unicorn. And she comes home breathlessly running into the house to tell her mother, can't even get the words out fast enough. Mommy, mommy, I can't. And I saw, and there was, and, was, and we went, and then just, just that, that's how Paul's letter to the Ephesians unfolds. You, you got to hear this. He says, God chose us. Adopted us into his family. We're, we're his kids. And there's grace. He just gave it to us freely. Forgiveness and redemption. Oh, don't you see how he loves us? Just lavished it on us. And it's his good pleasure to do so. This was in mind from the beginning. It was a mystery and we didn't know. But now we do. We see Jesus victorious. And so we have hope. Oh, and you. It's for you too. You're included. And I'm just so thankful. It's my paraphrase of the first 15 verses of Ephesians. <laughs> I pray for you all the time, Paul says. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. 
I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. He, he, just, he just can't stop himself. He goes on to say Jesus is amazing. God's love, mercy, kindness, grace is amazing. What's so incredible, is, and th this is where it starts to get real, is that God took these, these two groups of people, the, the Jews, who uh, were, as everyone knew, God's chosen people, Israel, perceived themselves to be like on the inside track with regard to access to God and to his promises. And then Gentiles, not on the inside track. Uh, outsiders, foreigners, uh, estranged from God's promises and God's hope. Well, now, in, in Jesus, with Jesus in view, the risen Lord Jesus, whom death tried to stop but couldn't, we see how in Christ Jesus, Paul says, God made the two groups one. God's love and mercy and grace and kindness and power and blessings and inheritance are for all people, Jew and Gentiles, for you. It's for all of us. The outsiders have become insiders. Everyone can now find and experience and know God. Everyone from every stripe is part of the same household, citizens of the same country, bricks in the same building of which Christ is the cornerstone where God dwells by his spirit. It's a dream come true. God's dream come true. And as a result, Paul says, I've given my life to being part of this dream, announcing this good news to all of the outsiders, to all those who, who feel uh, cast off, who feel far away from God. I'm spending myself to let them know that they have been brought near, that everyone is part of God's family because God says through Christ and through his church, y'all come. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people just to, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. I just hope you know. I hope you can somehow comprehend the extent of God's love. When you look at Jesus, who gave up his life for us all, I just hope you know. When you consider that God's love has stretched so far as to include you, I just hope you know. And to think that it goes even beyond you to include everyone in all different directions, everyone who is different or far off, the oddball, all the difference of creed, color, class, and culture. Every people is God's people, the church being built together with every different kind of stone. When you see that, I just hope you would be able to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Now, can I invite us to, to shift perspective a little bit on, on this verse? If this was a question, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ? If someone were asking that question, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ? Would they have some idea of the answer by looking at your life? 
would they have some grasp of what God's love is like by looking at the way that you love? Paul is falling all over himself in the book of Ephesians to say that God's love is the sort that that reaches out to to, to those people, the different sort of people, the don't belong kind, the don't go to church kind. Would, Would someone understand that God's love is like that by looking at the ways that you love and looking at who you love? The elasticity that we see in God's love. It stretches, stretches to include, to wrap around the whole world. If someone were looking at, now I'm not talking about the elastic in your waistband. Don't need nobody inspecting that. But, but the elastic stretch of your love, if someone saw that, would they understand something about the true character of God's love? We could ask similar questions of our church. Does the breadth of those who call mountain home reflect the breadth of God's love? Do the lengths to which the mountain people go to care for and to intentionally reach out to those who are yet far off reveal the true length of God's love? Would anybody looking at us be able to recognize God's dream, the one that had Paul so excited in the book of Ephesians, God's dream has come true? And these questions call for some reflection. And that's, that's good. It's part of what we've been doing in this series. It's called Dare to Dream. And it's about, it's about vision. It's about seeing a vision for what God wants for the ministry of mountain. And Ben called us to join him last week. He was up in the bucket. It's up top of this big fire engine ladder uh, up where you, you can see some things from a different perspective. You're up out of the daily grind and the minutia of the moment. And you, you get a view of the horizon. And for a while now, we have been seeking God for a vision of what's on the horizon for Mountain as we approach our 200th year anniversary in the year 2024. It's asking, if the brush were in God's hands to paint the, the picture of the future that he desires, what would it look like? And getting that vision to come into focus, it, it, it demands reflection. You start thinking about where you've come and where you're at and, and what, what are the really important things? What really matters? Who do we want to be? For the vision to take shape, you, you've got to reflect on things like that. And as Ben describes the, the birthing and shaping of this vision, it, it's been for better part of a year, really, about a year-long process. Elders and staff leaders coming together, praying and convening and reading and uh, studying together. And, and found ourselves soaking up the words to uh, the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And there's a, a verse in chapter 54 that really seemed to speak in a way that uh, kind of defined the contours of the picture that God was painting. Now, Isaiah was speaking a long time ago to people who uh, didn't have a lot of reason to hope in the future. Now, they, they were pretty weighed down by, by the weight of their circumstances, living in exile away from their homeland. Their cities had been destroyed, and, and life just would have been really heavy for them. Maybe you know what that's like. When life is just so hard, you, you can't even bring yourself to hope. You can't even look toward anything in the future. The best you can do is just buckle down and try to survive for the day. You've maybe been there before. That's where God's people are at. And that's when God says to them, get up in the bucket and see what I'm trying to do here. See what I'm uh, trying, the picture that I'm trying to paint for you. Because the way I see it, here's what you're going to have to do. Isaiah 54 and verse 2. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide and don't hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes for you will spread out to the right and to the left. 
Now, that's a dream you can see. You may not be able to believe it if you're the people that Isaiah is speaking to because everything's been taken from you and your world's gotten so small. But God is saying, lift your eyes and see. I'm not done with you yet. Stretch out your tent. Lengthen those ropes. Make the tent bigger. A, a larger family needing a larger roof over their heads would have been a symbol to God's people that God's promise to Abraham, uh, it, wasn't, it, it wasn't done yet. It was still good. Uh, they're part of Abraham's descendants. God promised to give Abraham descendants numbering the stars in the sky and to bless them, bless the world through them. Nothing is stopping God's promise. So he says, lengthen your ropes, pound those stakes in deep, make them strong for support as I spread the canopy of my blessing to the right and to the left. It's a powerful image, a very hopeful picture. It would have spoken a very timely word to God's people 2,500 years ago. And the amazing thing about God's word is that it still speaks. As Ben described for us last week, this, this same picture, it was this metaphor that came into view for us as a way, not just to understand God's work back then, but the way he's moving now, in our time and place. God was just churning in our spirits and shaping our imagination to be able to dream along with him. It was this same image that gave, uh, gave expression to, was able to name some very important things about our ministry right here, as we move toward our 200th year anniversary. God is calling us to dare to dream, uh, awakening us with a, a deeper love for this region where God has placed us, a longing to see God's kingdom come, and challenging us to stretch our faith, to stretch our hearts and hands toward more people than ever, and to strengthen our body as we move more to the core. No one can tend to just exist on the fringes, but all of us taking steps toward the core where Christ is in order to spread God's blessing by expanding our impact from Rosedale to Rising Sun, to the right and to the left, up and down the 95 corridor. Now, there's a lot in that. Ben uh, introduced it last week, and, and this series, Dare to Dream, is designed to help us kind of zoom in to all the different parts of it. We're just looking at the first part today. Stretch. Now, I don't like to stretch, uh, not literally or figuratively. I'm guessing you don't either, unless I'm talking to a bunch of gymnasts. No, no. Uh, but maybe could you allow uh, at least your mind and your heart to be a little bit pliable today? Allow God to stretch you. Uh, for this, it's going to be important that we continue to get acquainted with the message of Isaiah. Spend, we'll spend some more time there. And again, the people there are, are defeated. They're hopeless. They're broken down. And they're, they're longing for home. And whether or not you can relate to that, you understand, this is, this is not a good situation. And so we can appreciate the words that God speaks to his people through Isaiah in this moment. This, this whole part of the book of Isaiah is a word of comfort. And it's an encouragement to hope in a future that doesn't look like where they're at or where they've been. And maybe you need that word today. Maybe you're longing for a word from God that, that sounds like something different than where you're at or, or, or where you've come from. No doubt there's many of us do need that whenever we come together. And so it does encourage us to know that when we seek God, he is someone who meets us where we are and, and beckons us forward with the same kinds of words that he gave to his people, Israel, in the book of Isaiah. Listen to me, he said. The descendants of Jacob, the people of Israel, you whom I've upheld since your birth, I've carried you since you were born. I've not forgotten our history together. 
and neither will I leave you into the future because even in your old age, you have gray hair and I'm still the one. I'm the one who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. Same kind of message, keeps popping off the page. Isaiah 43, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, you are mine. Do not be afraid for, for I am with you. And maybe you've heard this verse before, forget the former things. Don't, don't dwell on the past because, see, I'm doing a new thing. It's a very hopeful word. And at the same time, God shoots straight with him. He, he, he does, is not shy about saying, your sin has made a mess of things. But I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. God's people needed those words. When Humpty Dumpty falls off the wall and all human ingenuity and effort can't put him back together again, we long for a God who restores. And again, maybe you are seeking a word from God that sounds like, return to me, for I have redeemed you. We all crave for God to speak to us in that way, being mindful of our own brokenness, the ways we have fallen, the messes that we have made. Now, think on this a little further. Uh, help me out here. If you stub your toe, what is the only thing on your mind in that moment? Yeah, oh, this hurts, right? And what is the only thing that you really want in that moment? For it to, to feel better, right? If, uh, if you're a newly engaged woman, okay, and you drop your ring down the garbage disposal, what is the only thing you're thinking about right then? Yeah, getting it back. Same if, if you're in the hospital. You're, you're dreaming of the moment that you will be out of the hospital when you'll be healthy again. That's the dominant thing on your mind. Or if you have someone you love that's far away, you're thinking about them all the time, dreaming of the day when they will come back home. Whenever there's a strain or, or pain or life isn't working out the way that you want, whether you're in the ER or in exile, it, it consumes our mind and it shapes our dreams to be the kind of dreams that just say, oh, I just wish this could be fixed. I just want this to be better. And in Isaiah, God says, hey, dare to dream because that's my dream for you. I am going to fix what's broken. I'm going to remove the pain that consumes you and re rebuild and restore and renew what has been torn down. Dare to believe I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. This, this big, amazing thing, nothing is going to stop me. That's what you want and that's what I want because you are my people and I have not forgotten about you. God is saying that all over uh, the book of Isaiah and you can read it for yourself if you want and you, you sense the rising of the people of Israel out of despair, lifting their eyes to see what God is doing, uh, opening their ears ready to hear, uh, hearts ready to trust this monster vision of God fulfilling their deepest longings and then in chapter 49, God says, all of that is too small. It's too small. He says, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, to, to bring back the people of Israel, to, to just restore the people of Israel. That's too small. I will also make you a light 
for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Get up in the bucket and see what I am doing. God's like, yes, your toe's throbbing, your ring is lost, your lives are in pieces. Okay, wonderful news. I can put all that back together for you and people like you, but that's not the big thing. I'm putting the world back together. Set your sights on that. I want to bless the whole world in the way that I've talked about blessing you. My plans stretch way beyond just just your own kind, further than what's maybe comfortable or familiar to you. I mean, all those who are far off and different, they all belong to me, and I'm going to reach out to them and stretch my blessing beyond just you and your boundaries. The, The tent is getting larger so all the nations of the world can find shelter underneath it. That's why we need a bigger tent, because all of the people of the earth, not just you, all the people of the earth are going to be invited to experience the goodness of God. And so you've got to stretch your dream even farther. you got to stretch beyond the horizons of God renewing and restoring you. Oh, sure, God, God will heal you and make you strong, but not just for your own sake. It's so that you can stretch God's dream to reach out to more people so that they can experience God's salvation as well. That's the dream. Isaiah, pointing forward, to someone yet unseen, but whom we now know is Jesus, giving up his life for all. Paul, looking backward at the risen Lord Jesus and seeing it all come into focus, realizing that this is what God wanted all along, to give his good gifts, his inheritance, his blessing to all people. God's dream becomes a reality when it stretches to include those not yet included. Anything less is too small. God's dream becomes a reality when it stretches to include those not yet included. Anything less is too small. And now, in Christ, it's happened. That's what Paul got so geeked about in Ephesians. He's drinking in the wonder of a God who spends himself on behalf of outsiders, of a church who exists for the sake of outsiders. God has been shaping this vision for a long time, and now his church has a specific calling within it. But it requires a stretch, a reach that embodies the love of God. Does your love stretch? like God's love? Does your love reach toward outsiders? It was the reach of some people from Kentucky, Samuel Rogers and James McVeigh, who rode across the country on horseback, or whom local lore has it that James McVeigh actually walked here, spending themselves for the sake of people in Maryland, preaching and teaching and gathering a community around Jesus in the early 1820s that launched this church on mission. Are you ready to spend yourself on behalf of outsiders so that the mission can continue in the 2020s and beyond? 
You know, I, I was thinking, I've, I've been tremendously blessed by, by this church. And I know I'm talking to a lot of people who can say the same thing. We've been here for uh, 10 and a half of the 195 years. Uh, so privileged to be, to be insiders here, to, to call this place home. Now, I work here, of course, in my job. And some of the most, some of those formative things in my life and just greatest joys were the, the time that I got to spend working with Tom Moen, who's our, our Glocal pastor, still is. Uh, Glocal, he, he helps us invest in things that God cares about globally and locally, globally. And so we would work together and, you know, our, our job was to try to help uh, strategize and mobilize people to be engaged with God's mission, close to home or far away, whether that's going on trips, and we got people away on trips right now, or sponsoring kids, or um, feeding people locally, or doing some cleanup and repair projects, is bringing beauty to the community, showing up and being a, a presence and a blessing, all, all those kind of things. And we spent a lot of time around uh, the table in our office, uh, making plans, Praying hard, you know, believing that God's mission reaches to the ends of the earth, trying to figure out how do we, how do we create the right plan and, and, and mobilize the right people and create the right strategy to get people engaged with that in some way. And every once in a while, that kind of ongoing conversation about how do we get the right strategy and marshal the right people and, and get everybody going to reach out to more people, it, the conversation would kind of turn back on us in a sort of gut check kind of way. To the point where we, we just kind of, I, I still see Tom just saying, you know, the problem is people just don't love Jesus enough. Then we'd have to ask ourselves, and th- do, do I really love Jesus enough to do this? Is that what's motivating me? And do I really love people? Is that why I'm doing this? Or am I just doing a job? Am I just kind of going through the motions and playing church, acting the part? Or do I really love people? Am I living out of the wonder of God's love, which is so wide and long and high and deep to include me? Am I living out of God's love? Does Christ's love compel me to love my neighbor? Do I love my neighbor? Do I love the people that I meet in the same way that Christ loves them? Do I love the people I haven't met like Christ loves them? I know that Christ's love extends, stretches to reach out and include them. Does my love? And what am I going to do about that? Not just like, what am I going to do in my job? But what am I going to do about that? This vision that we have as we look toward 2024 will call us to ask ourselves those kinds of questions. It will require a stretch of faith. It will call for us to stretch our hearts and our hands toward more people than ever. Because if we, if we are caught up in and motivated by anything other than the wide and long and high and deep love of Christ, then our dream will never be as big as God's. If we are caught up in and motivated by anything other than the wide and long and high and deep love of Christ, then our vision will never be as big as God's. And the mission 
which has been going for 200 years, will entropy. Now, we might get excited about seeking God for the restoration and healing and forgiveness that he provides to us, but we will lack the fervor to seek that on behalf of others. Once we become insiders, outsiders will fade from our view and concern. We might be excited if the church grows by welcoming more people that look kind of like, like us, but we will be unnerved if people of a different kind start showing up. And that is not God's vision for his church. The vision for God's church comes into focus when you try to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ for all people. That will stretch your vision. That will stretch your heart. That will stretch your hands. It'll stretch out of your comfort zone. And we'll eventually all get comfy with the idea that the church is an organization that exists for the benefit of non-members. But we'll never be comfy if our church grows because Christians from other churches came and decided to join our church. That's not to slam the door on anyone, if that's you. It's just to, to, to point out that the vision, the dream is not that all the Christians in the surrounding region would come to Mountain Christian Church. The dream is that more and better disciples of Jesus Christ would be made out of people who weren't disciples, people who were ignorant of or resistant to God's invitation, having then accepted it and become part of the family. They weren't a follower of Jesus, and now they are because someone from Mountain is helping them grasp the wide, long, high, deep love of Christ for them. Amen. Amen. We want to be a church for people who don't go to church. That's why Paul was so charged up when he's writing the book of Ephesians because he realized, he's looking at the church and realizing, ha, the church God created is for people who don't go to church. It's like that's what God wanted all along. We think that realizing God's dream for our church would mean that for every 10 people that joined Mountain, at least seven of them, when you ask them what church were you a part of before you joined Mountain, they would say, uh, I wasn't. What if? What if that were the case? What if, uh, what if Mountain grew from about 7,000 people now across four campuses and online to, to 12,000 people across six campuses by the end of 2024? And 70% of those people had no, uh, no real church background or no previous acquaintance with Jesus. I tell you, Welcome to Mountain would be filled with a bunch of unconvinced people. The questions would be awesome. The wrestling would be real. Skeptics would find this community to be so warm and welcoming, to be a safe place where they can bring their very real doubts and their very real hurts and, and just be received as they sort that out. Not by folks who want to fix them, but just by people who want to love them and ever so more lead them to see Jesus for who he really is. All the people who are new around here, if you ask them, well, how'd you find out about Mountain? They'd point to someone and say, well, they invited me. And everyone who's been around here, everyone, young and old, would be able to point to someone else and say, well, yeah, I invited them. Because we would all be actively reaching out to the people around us. 
every, uh, every group or, or team, whether it's a group that primarily gathers to study the Bible or it's a team that primarily gathers to serve in some way, it wouldn't just be the same people staring at each other week after week because everyone would be so actively uh, seeking and inviting and welcoming new people to be a part of whatever they're doing. And those groups who were just staring at one another year after year, week after week, would, because the love of Christ compels them, would multiply and start new groups so that outsiders could have an even greater chance of becoming insiders, could find a place to belong. And, and when we look around, healing would be so real and prevalent, like the kind of restoration that God describes in the book of Isaiah. Marriages repaired, addictions broken, illnesses overcome, depression lifted, racial reconciliation. God's power would be on display, speaking for itself as a witness to everyone, calling people out of lesser versions of life and into the fullness of life in Christ. That's what God wants for his people. All people. Every family in heaven and on earth and everyone from Rosedale to Rising Sun derives their name from him. No one is excluded from his promises. No one is beyond the reach of his love. God is daring us to dream what if from Rosedale to Rising Sun no one was beyond the reach of our love. So what would that mean for you today? Who, who is God calling you to love in a special way, in, in an intentional way? Maybe there, there's some neighbors you just, you just need to take interest in, or some other people, you're kind of living parallel lives, and you just engage, uh, acknowledge, care for, in some way take interest in. Maybe there's some people that you need to invite into your life in some way. Invite them into your group. Invite them to church. Invite them to dinner. Anything that would reflect Jesus' invitation to them. If you're, uh, if you're only ever looking at and hanging with a bunch of already convinced insiders that all look like you, then in Jesus' name, you need some new social patterns. Go out and, and meet some people. I mean, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ? It's bigger than your current circle. And if you've been changed by Christ's love, if you've got a story to tell about the work of God in your life, healing, victory, freedom, recovery, comfort, provision, big or small, let it be known. Find a way to encourage someone else by bearing witness that the God of the ancient scriptures is still alive and well today. And if, if you're yet to be convinced, you're unsure, about all this, new to this, th then dare to dream that all this Jesus stuff could actually matter, that it could actually be true. See if that dream comes true. To do anything other than to dare to dream, dare to hope, dare to trust, dare to stretch would be too small. Stretch your heart. Let's all stretch our hands. And wherever you're at, as you're trying to figure out where you fit in God's dream, I just hope you know. I hope you are somehow able to grasp how wide and long and high and deep 
is the love of Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word, uh, which tells us that you love us, and thank you for the ways that you show us that love. You've been faithful for so long, back to your people suffering in exile and beyond, and through Christ and the early church, and even today through this church in our time and place. We pray that your love would more and more have your way among us, that you would redeem and rebuild and renew anything broken in us. But more than that, it, w it wouldn't stop there, that your love would flow through us, that your love would uh, be sent out from this place to embrace, to care, to encourage, to bless everyone that we meet. Use us in that way, Lord. Have your way with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.